Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Please make your way in your Bible with me to the book of 1 Samuel. Will you please go in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 8? The vast majority of our study this morning is going to be coming from 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter. And so I invite you to please turn there in your Bible. We're going to read some verses out of there in just a moment as you turn there and get ready to study this morning. Let me just say how very happy I am to be back home with you. I was away in East Texas. Uh, for our week-long gospel meeting, and it went, went well. God blessed it. Uh, I got to worship with some good brethren there. I got to see uh, my mom, my grandmother who raised me, got to stay with her for the week. Got to see some people I haven't seen in a very long time. So it was a good meeting. It was blessed. But there's no place like home, no place like being with you here, worshiping God together, studying the Bible together, glad to be back with my family with my wife and my kids and my brothers and sisters here so we can do God's work together and we can study together like we're going to study right now. And so we're going to begin with 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter. In 1 Samuel, chapter 8, we're going to start with verse number 1, where the Bible says in verse 1, And it came about when Samuel was old that he appointed his son judges, his son's judges over Israel. Now the name of his firstborn was Joel. In the name of his second, Abijah, they were judging in Beersheba. His sons, however, did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after dishonest gain and took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel came together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, your sons, behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, and that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. A couple of weeks ago, we concluded some studies from the book of Exodus. Remember that? For those of you in the auditorium Bible class, remember a couple of weeks ago, we concluded some studies from the book of Exodus. Remember, we learned in our studies that one of the great themes of the book of Exodus is God's constant provisions for his people. It's God's constant blessings and deliverances of his people. Remember, God delivered his people from hundreds and hundreds of years of Egyptian bondage. And he brought them miraculously across the Red Sea and he killed the wicked Egyptians that were pursuing them. And he gave them, gave them bread from heaven and quail and he also gave them water. And at Mount Sinai, he even gave them their own special law that was designed to distinguish them and make them special and holy unto him. He would also go on to one day give them the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that flows with milk and honey, and he would help them conquer each and every Canaanite enemy that stood before them. And whenever those enemies would 
began to rise up and oppress them on the borders, well, God would then raise up a judge. God would raise up a deliverer or a great warrior who would rescue the people and fight for them and, and save them from their enemies. You see, all throughout the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and Judges, we find God blessing his people. We find God protecting his people, providing for his people, delivering his people over and over and over again. And yet, despite God's constant blessings and his constant provisions and deliverances, when we get to this critical moment in Israelite history, we find the people of Israel saying some of the most troubling words in all the Bible. Here we see that during a time of military crisis and when wicked men like Samuel's sons were judging the nation, the people of God, the people of Israel actually wanted to fire God. They wanted to stop listening to God. They actually wanted to stop doing things God's way. Instead of doing things God's way, here we see that they ask for themselves a king. They want a king. They want to be like all of the other nations. They don't want to be judged by Samuel's wicked sons anymore. And they also don't want to listen to Samuel anymore because in their mind, he's too old now. No, no longer were judges going to be good enough. No longer were prophets like Samuel going to be good enough. No longer was God going to be good enough. Now the people of Israel, they want a king. They want a physical king. They want a physical king who would literally sit on a throne and tell them exactly what to do and reign over them. That is the request they are making to Samuel at Ramah on this occasion, and I submit that that request was very troubling. It was very disturbing. It was actually something that Samuel took personally at first, but God told him, don't do that. God told him, don't, don't take this personal. God told him to really understand what's going on here. God wanted Samuel to understand that their request for a king on this occasion wasn't a rejection of him as a prophet, but instead it was a rejection of him as God. It was a rejection of God's rule and God's reign and God's authority. It was a rejection of God being the king over them. In fact, beyond being a rejection of God as their king, this request from Israel was also a vivid demonstration of a lack of faith and trust in God. And I think we see this when we drop down in the text. Look at verse number 19. When you look at verse number 19 of 2 Samuel, or 1 Samuel chapter 8, I'm sorry. In 1 Samuel 8, in verse number 19, after Samuel spent some time warning the people about the consequences of having a physical king, in verse 19, the Bible says, nevertheless, the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but there should be a king over us. Verse 20, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, after Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the Lord's hearing. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to their voice and appoint them a king 
So Samuel said to the said to the men of Israel, go every man to his city. Notice the reason, the reason, the reason why the people of Israel wanted a physical king who would reign over them during this time was because they wanted someone who would go out before them in battle. And they wanted someone to lead them in, in battle. They no longer wanted to trust in God's ability to lead them in battle. They no longer wanted to trust in God's ability to give them victories over their enemies, even though up to this point, God had given them a lot of victories over their enemies. He had given them victories over the Egyptians and the Amalekites and the Midianites and the Philistines and the Ammonites. God had given his people victories over all of these nations from the time of the Exodus to the end of the book of Judges. But now, now they want something different. Now they want a permanent physical, round-the-clock man with an army who would take care of all their problems. Now they want a physical king who will reign over them over a physical throne and take up of any crisis that popped up throughout the land of Israel just like that. That is what they want. That is what they demand. That is where their hearts are at this time. The question, though, is, is what about us? What, what about our hearts this morning? Are our hearts like the people of Israel? Are our hearts near the point right now of rejecting God as our king? I want to show you very quickly three problems. I want to show you three problems with this request for a king by the nation of Israel. And the first problem is this. The first problem with this request for a king by the people of Israel is this request is deeply rooted in a rejection of God's plan. It is deeply rooted in their rejection of God's plan. You see, God had a plan for his people. God had a plan for the people of Israel, and believe it or not, but that plan did involve having a physical king. It did involve having a physical ruler who would lead them and guide them and be available to them and make military decisions. This is actually something that God talks with them a lot about in a couple of different prophecies prior to what you find here in 1 Samuel chapter 8. For example, in Genesis chapter 49, in Genesis chapter 49, if you remember, if you remember in Genesis 49, the patriarch Jacob he talks with his sons about how the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, would one day be ruled by kings. He specifically says that to Judah. He says that Judah was going to be a tribe that kings came from. And then Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 17, in Deuteronomy 17, Moses makes it very clear that there was going to come a day when the people of God were going to be ruled by kings. In fact, think about this. Think about this. If Israel never had a physical king, then how would they ever, how would they ever be able to recognize Jesus? How would they ever be able to recognize the Messiah? How would they ever be able to recognize the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You see, the problem with Israel on this occasion wasn't that they desired a physical king. God actually was going to give them that in due time. The problem with them on this occasion was their motive. 
It was the why. Why did they want a king? Look back at verse number five. Remember in 1 Samuel 8 and verse five, the Bible tells us that the reason why they wanted a king was because they wanted someone to judge them like all the other nations. They wanted a king who would go out and fight for them and, 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 and do all the heavy lifting. They no longer wanted to be under God's direction and his leadership. That's what we learn in verse number five, verse number seven, and in verse number 20. All this tells us that the real motive behind Israel's demand for a king was they were no longer satisfied with God's system. They were no longer satisfied with God's structure and God's will. They were no longer satisfied with God's plan. They were no longer satisfied with what had been going on during the time of the judges. They were no, they were no longer satisfied with having to cry out to God, with having to pray to God whenever their enemies began to oppress them, oppress them and then have and then having to wait. And trust in God and have faith in God and patiently wait for him to raise up the right person at the right time to fight for them and, and deliver them from their enemies. They were no longer satisfied with not having a man who could immediately call for an army to rescue any tribe in any place in Israel at any time. They were no longer satisfied without having a full-time king that they could see and hear and touch and pay homage to. In their minds, doing it the current way, under the current system, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't getting the job done. It wasn't getting the job done in the best way. They needed something better. They needed something new. They needed something that they felt was going to be more effective. That was their problem at this time. That's what they're essentially saying to Samuel and to the Lord. And you know what it reminds me of? It actually reminds me of what goes on in, in, in sports today. You know, many of you know that I'm a, I'm a big sports fan, I'm a big football fan, I'm a big NFL fan, big National Football League fan. And for those of you who like the NFL, like, like I do, you know that in the NFL, nobody's job is safe, right? Nobody's job is safe. Quarterback's job's never safe. Running backs, wide receivers, offensive linemen, defensive linemen, trainers, GMs, especially the head coach, right? Head coach's job is never safe. And we just saw that firsthand a couple of weeks ago with the Carolina Panthers, didn't we? For those of you who keep up with football, you know that after finishing with a 5-11 and 11 record in 2020 and a 5-12 record in 2021, and after beginning this season with a 1-4 record, the Carolina Panthers just recently fired their head coach, Matt Rule. They fired him even though they gave him a seven-year, $62 million contract. Even though they gave him a lot of money, after two and a half years, they didn't like the way things were going. They didn't like the direction of the team. They didn't like the results of what he, of what he was doing, and so they relieved him of his coaching duties. They relieved him of his responsibility. That kind of stuff happens all the time in the NFL. That's nothing new, but let me tell you something. That should never have ever been happening with God. That should never have been happening with 
God among his people, the people of Israel. You see, unlike what you find with Matt Rule, the head coach or the former head coach of the Carolina Panthers, God had never, never led his people to any losses. The people of Israel had never experienced any failures with God. They had never had a losing record with God. In fact, even when they rebelled and sinned and went off into idolatry and did a whole bunch of wicked things, after God had blessed them to conquer the promised land, when they cried out to the Lord, whenever their enemies began to oppress them, you know what God did? God listened to their prayers. God heard their prayers and he blessed them. He raised up warriors. He raised up deliverers, people like Samson and Deborah and Jephthah and Gideon. He raised up these people to deliver them and save them from their enemies. God had provided perfect leadership for Israel. God had provided perfect guidance and perfect direction. He had never experienced any failures as he led his people. And yet, despite their numerous failures, despite their idolatry, despite their blunders and all the problems they brought on themselves, they want to fire God. They want to reject God. They want to set up a new system that they think is better because they believe that God's current system, well, it's outdated. It's no good. It now needs to be replaced. See, on this occasion, the people of Israel think they got a better plan than God has. And let me tell you something. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves thinking the same way today. If we're not careful if we're not careful, we can find ourselves thinking just like the people of Israel at this time. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves today believing that we're smarter than God. And his plans are outdated and old fashioned and ineffective, and it needs to be replaced by something better that we have today. If we're not careful, we can find ourselves thinking things like this. Well, you know, it was a time, there was a time when it was okay for local churches to be independent and autonomous and led by elders, but today we need something different. I mean, there was a time when, hey, you had independent, local autonomous churches. They were led by elders. That was a time when that was okay. There was a time when it was okay to limit the use of the Lord's money that's collected on the first day of the week to benevolence and, and evangelism. There was a time when it was okay for marriage to be solely between a man and a woman and to be something that lasted for a lifetime. There was a time when it was okay when the gospel was the only thing we needed to convert people to the lost. There was a time when those kind of plans were okay, but today, today we need something different. Today we need a different plan. We need a plan that involves satellite churches or churches that have a, a centralized headquarters somewhere in the country that makes all the decisions that, that filter down to, to the other churches. See, that, 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 that's better. That's what we need today. Today we need a plan that involves using the Lord's money for recreation and gimmicks and sports and fun, and pizza, and coffee, and donuts. Now that's going to be more effective and filling the pews today. T today we need a plan that allows marriage to be between people of the same sex. 
or a plan that allows us to get a divorce anytime that we want to, or, or a plan that involves more positive preaching, or has praise bands and praise teams, or has some special guy that we hire to, to work with our young people, to take them out to ball games and give them pizza and stuff, because that'll help us keep our young people. That's the kind of plan we need today. You see, Israel's request for a king at the root of it, it was a flat-out rejection of God's current plan for them. It was a rejection of God's system and God's wisdom. And if we're not careful, we can develop hearts just like them. Israel rejected God's plan for them. And not only did they reject his plan and his system, but they also rejected his will for them to be different. His will for them to be different. Let's just be honest about it this morning. It's hard being different, isn't it? It's hard being different. It's hard being unique. It's hard being kind of strange when compared to the rest of the world. The easier thing to do is to give in to the temptation to blend in. To fit in, conform, be part of the crowd. Be just like everybody else. Look back at Verse number five, I mean, Israel really struggled with this. Verse number five of chapter eight of 1 Samuel, chapter eight and verse five, they said to Samuel, behold, you have grown old. You're too old now, Samuel, and your sons, they, they don't walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like, like all the other nations. We, we want to be like everybody else. Look at verse 20, verse 20 again, that we may also be like all the other nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and and fight our, our battles. Notice how in addition to no longer being satisfied with God's current structure and God's current system for them, the people of Israel also, they want to be like everybody else. They want to be like the other nations in the world at this time. They want to be like the Canaanites. They, they want to be like the heathens. They want to be like the idolaters. They want to be like the enemies of God's people, the people who did not know God and love God and serve God, the people who had not experienced God's blessings. That's what they want to be like. They want to be like those people, and the problem with that is that's not what God wanted for them. That's not why God made them and built them and preserved them as a nation. God's desire for them was not for them to be like everybody else. Instead, God wanted them to be different. God wanted them to look different, think different, act different, be holy and shine and stand out and be set apart and distinct from everybody else in the world. That's what God wanted for his people at this time. And let me tell you something. That's what God wants for us, too. Nothing's changed. God wants us to be different, just like he wanted these people to be different. That's the whole point of what Jesus is saying in Matthew 5, and verse 16, where Jesus says, Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, that you may stand out. And that may cause people to want to glorify your father who's in heaven. Jesus, Jesus says we got to stand out. We got to stick out. We got to shine in a dark and sinful world. The apostle Paul he, he emphasizes that in Ephesians. Will you go with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 5? In Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm looking at verse number 7 of Ephesians 5 and verse 7. After Paul talks about the disobedient, the people who are going to experience the wrath of God, 
in verse 7, he says, therefore, do not be partakers with them. Don't be like those people. For you, if you're, if you're a Christian, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Be different. For the fruit of the, of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. Paul is saying what Jesus said. He's saying what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Be different. Stand out. Don't be like the people in the world. I'm going to 1 Peter. Will you go there with me too? The 1 Peter chapter 2. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter here is talking to God's people under the new covenant. God's people under the old covenant was the people of Israel. We know that. But, but here in chapter 2, Peter's talking to us. He's talking about God's people under the new covenant. And he says in verse number 9 of 1 Peter 2, but you, if you're, if you're a Christian, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What is Peter saying there? Where Peter is telling us that God wants us to be different. We have a higher calling as the people of God. And I got to ask you, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? How do you feel about this responsibility? How do you feel about this responsibility that Peter talks about here? This responsibility to be unique and holy and different and special and shine and stand out and stick out and be noticed in a cold, dark and sinful world. How do you feel about the responsibility to be different? How do you feel about being part of a church that's different? How do you feel about being part of a church that is different than the vast majority of churches in the valley? How do you feel being part of a church that doesn't use mechanical instruments in our worship? And doesn't offer all kinds of social and recreational programs for the young people and the young families and one that believes in the distinct gender roles that God gives to men and women in the church and one that practices church discipline and one that holds to the teachings of Jesus when it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage? How do you feel being part of a church like that? How do you feel being part of a church that is different and how do you feel being different in your daily life? I mean, do you embrace that? Do you embrace the responsibility that you have as a Christian to be unique and different in your daily life? Or are you trying to be like Israel? You, you, you're trying to be like everybody else. Trying to blend in, trying to fit in. Are you caving into the temptation? To conform to the world, are you caving into the temptation to talk like everybody else and bully people like everybody else and laugh at dirty jokes and take part in juicy gossip and drink and, and engage in sexual immorality and drugs and dress immodestly? How do you feel about the responsibility you have to be different again? Again, let's be honest, it's not easy being different. It's not easy being unique. 
It's not easy being peculiar. It's not easy being different as a church. It's not easy being different in the sense that we live by a different set of morals. And we have different kind of marriages and we raise our kids in different kind of ways and we believe differently and we think differently and we live differently. It's not easy being different in a world where the vast majority of people do not serve God and don't love God. But God has always demanded that his people be different. He demanded that Israel be different. He demands us to be different. But Israel rejected God's plan. And they resisted being different. They wanted themselves a king, a physical king, and God's going to give them that. God's going to give them what they want. He's going to give them a physical king, but before doing that, he's going to warn them about the consequences. He's going to warn them about the consequences. Now, we don't have, we don't have time to do this right now, but I want to encourage you to go home today and read verses 10 down to verse 18 or 1 Samuel chapter 8, 1 Samuel 8, 10 through 18. There you're going to find God through the prophet Samuel warning Israel of the consequences of having a physical king. God's going to tell them that while having a physical king may sound like a good idea, it may sound like something that's a pretty good deal, in time they're going to see that it's not a good deal at all. They're going to see that that's not as good as it sounds. They're going to see that having a king is going to bring all kinds of hardships and problems and trials, and that's going to be a heavy burden for them to bear. I think God really emphasized this point to them in verse number 18, 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse number 18, after Samuel talks about how bad it's going to be for them to have a physical king in verse 18 of that chapter, he says, God says through the prophet, then you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourself but the Lord, the Lord, when I answer you in that day, he's not going to listen to you in that day. In other words, you make your bed, you have to lie in it. I'm not going to hear you. You're going to have to learn this the hard way. Israel will have to learn the hard way that God is always right. In fact, they're going to learn this as soon as the next chapter. First Samuel 9. You see, in 1 Samuel 9, the first king of Israel is chosen. And we know who that man is, right? That man is Saul. It is Saul, the son of a man named Kish, who came from the tribe of Benjamin. Saul would look the part. He was tall. He was strong. He was somebody who looked like a king. In fact, he would actually start out pretty good. He would start out humble and meek, and, and he would be blessed to have some military success. But in time... He will be overcome by bitterness and jealousy and envy, and he will be disobedient to God in so many different ways and bring all kinds of problems among the people of God, and God would fire him. God would reject him. God will replace him with another man after his own heart, and we're going to have more to say about that particular man for the next several months, for at least once a month, for the next several months. We're going to have a lot to say about this guy and about his life and about his story and about the lessons he can teach us because he was the man that God wanted to, to lead his people.
we wanted to preach this lesson today to set that up. And so for now, what I want to do is I just want to show you from this lesson that, that Israel was wrong. They were just dead wrong. They may have thought they knew what was best. They may have thought they had a better way of doing things. But over the course of time, they're going to see that they should have just trusted God. They should have trusted God's leadership. They should have trusted God's will, God's plan, God's ways. They should have embraced being unique and different than the heathens around them. They should have realized that God had never let them down and rejecting him is never the right thing to do. These people should have trusted God. The question is, do you trust God? Do you trust God's ways? Do you trust God's plans? Do you trust what Jesus said in Mark 16 and verse 16, where Jesus says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. If you truly trust in the words of God and the words of Jesus, and if you've not yet obeyed the gospel, you can demonstrate your true trust in God by obeying the words of Jesus, by believing in him and repenting of your sins and having the faith and trust in him to get in that water and be baptized because you know he will keep his word to take your sins away. If that is something you need today, if you need to demonstrate your trust in the Lord's plan of salvation, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.